2,000 years ago, a revolutionary voice sounded in the desert of a small country living under Roman oppression and occupation. That voice essentially said, get in line, everyone. A new government is about to take control. Within a very short period of time, this man gained a very large following, and soon thereafter, another voice joined his, saying, the time has arrived, a new regime is about to take control. Get your life in order, and join the celebration. Often we Christians, I think, forget that John the Baptist and Jesus were revolutionaries. Jesus was crucified by the Jewish and Roman governments because he was a threat to their power and rulership. Throughout those three very short years of his public ministry, Jesus confronted and engaged the Jewish religious system, declaring it to be faulty and with error. However, Jesus did not come to only engage the Jewish religious systems, But he came to engage and overthrow that which was behind that system. The Apostle John tells us about that in 1 John 3, 8, where he says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Shortly after his baptism, immediately after the 40 days of temptation in the desert with the devil, Luke tells us, that when Jesus came to the village of Nazareth, his home, boyhood home, that he went as usual to the synagogue and on the Sabbath day stood up and read the scriptures. The scroll containing the message of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll to the place where it began with these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has appointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the downtrodden will be freed from their oppressors, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And then he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. Everyone in the synagogue stared at him intently. And then he said, Today, This has come true before your very eyes. In applying this prophetic passage from the book of Isaiah to himself, Jesus was making a declaration of war upon Satan, his influence, and Jesus describes his mission to overthrow the domain of Satan. And that domain was made up of the poor, the sick, the demonized, the oppressed. There's a scripture verse where Jesus speaks about us kicking down the doors, the gates of hell, and they will not withstand us. It is an offensive affront. We are not in a defensive posture. Jesus was not in a defensive posture. He was offensive. The people of his town understood what he said and were so incensed that they attempted to kill him. We think, why? What was up with that? Jesus was declaring war on the systems of the world 
ruled by the prince of evil, Satan himself. Last week, we launched a new series called Avoiding the Fiscal Cliff. And while this series is um, about finances, we're not going to talk simply about tithing or debt or having a budget, but we're going to venture into the jungle behind the world financial systems. But before we head into there for today, let's pray. Papa, I think it's easy for us as we drive around uh, our communities, as we drive to and from work, and we're involved in the the many tasks of life, uh, picking up parts at Home Depot and fixing things at our homes or buying groceries for our families, that um, it's easy to forget that you and your heart and passion for human beings is as strong and powerful as ever. That there is a war going on even this day for the hearts and minds and souls of humankind. And I welcome you to stir us up with this message about the purpose of Jesus declaring and tearing down the strongholds of the systems of our world that hinder people from coming to know him. Help us to get your heart for this world and to recognize that we're called to live in it, but not of it, and how and what that looks like. Papa, I ask that you would help our guests that are here today to know and experience you in a profound way. And might we be stirred to recognize our role and our part in advancing the kingdom of God here on this planet. In Jesus' name, amen. God created our world and humankind out of love and with a plan For humankind to have dominion over all the living creatures of the earth and to guard and cultivate the earth. Humankind, however, was tempted, rejected God's authority, and in that process released death and decay, as well as relinquishing dominion over the earth. And that dominion was relinquished and released to a glorious angel who had been cast from heaven as a consequence of his attempt to make himself God. The name Satan means adversary. Jesus speaks of him as the prince of this world. Since the Garden of Eden and the fall of humankind through sin, the kingdom of Satan has engaged and competed with the kingdom of God for the minds, hearts, worship, and souls of humankind. Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul gives a description of the spiritual powers and forces of Satan that battle against God. Our struggle is not against enemies of flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, 
against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly paces. The Apostle John declares in 1 John 5.19, the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. When Jesus spoke on the cross and said the words, it is finished, he was declaring that the very work of God to redeem, to reclaim, and to lay hold of and to put aside the dominion and power of Satan was accomplished. However, we still see around us the effects, the uh, impact of Satan and his hosts. So how was it finished? I, I once heard an illustration that was sort of helpful to me. I don't know that we can always find exact parallels uh, to uh, some of the biblical concepts, but um, World War II uh, was approaching uh, a dramatic point where uh, the forces from the U.S. and Great Britain landed in Normandy and took the beaches, losing probably hundreds, maybe thousands of soldiers at the time. But we're told from history that that force, that sweeping across the continent of Europe, was essentially the end. And then there came the downfall of Hitler and of that system. But the war continued. There were cleanup efforts. Not everyone had heard. I think we've heard stories about even the war in the Pacific of, uh, of islands continuing to battle after peace had been declared, both with Germany as well as with Japan. And in a similar way, victory was won upon the cross. It was done. It was finished. But there are cleanup efforts. There is a part and a place for us to play as a part of these ongoing efforts of the kingdom of God to break down and to lay aside the powers and dominions of Satan. As a result of Satan's dominion over the earth, the world's systems are adversarial to the ways and plans of God. Think, if you would, with me just for a moment, this, how this adversarial or opposing nature is between the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God. As we think about these two distinctions... The first one that I kind of thought of is that relative to the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of Satan, one of its principles is to take. Do we have those on a, on a PowerPoint there? Thanks. But the principles of the kingdom are to give. The world's drive is for pleasure. The kingdom of God seeks joy. The kingdoms of this world demand to control. God's kingdom invites to relinquish control. The world's systems are tied up in fear and God's is to give us peace. The world's system is about getting power. God's kingdom is about giving power. 
The world system is about independence, doing it my way. God's kingdom is about interdependence, us doing it together. The world is about ruling. God's kingdom is about serving. The world is about enslaving. God's kingdom is about liberating. This world's systems are ending in death. God's kingdom breaks forth in life. The world's system is me-focused. God's kingdom is God and others-focused. The world's kingdom is about pride. God's kingdom is about humility. The world system demands what's in it for me. Whereas we are invited to ask what's in it for God. The world system is about personal glory. God's system and kingdom that we're invited to is about his glory. Him being glorified. Interestingly, the world system's is connected to diminishing resources. Whereas God's is about increasing resources. The world system declares that there is never enough. God's kingdom says there is more than enough. The world system teaches us to clutch and to cling to what we have. God's system declares, open your hands, release And then an incredibly economic distinction. The world's economic financial systems is based on the system of selling and buying. And God's kingdom is based on giving and receiving. Very contrasting, opposing understandings. And we face these conflicting things every day in our lives. You can see it in the market with people cutting and pushing their way in. You can see it on the, uh, the highways. You can experience it at work. But wherever we go as a Christian, whether it be in the market, whether it be on the highways, whether it be in our work, what people ought to be experiencing is the result and expression of God's kingdom. Because a Christian is in a workplace, that workplace ought to be different. God's kingdom ought to be being manifest. There is a war on. In Matthew 20, 25, Jesus described to his disciples this contrast in leadership. He says, you know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Matthew 6.33, Jesus says, above all else, Seek first the kingdom of God, the manifestation of the ways of God, and to live according to those ways. 
The Bible is very clear that there are two separate and independent realms or kingdoms that exist as competing realms that are at work on our planet. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And as a part of these kingdoms or realms, there exist two totally separate and independent economic systems that compete for the hearts and minds of humankind. The world's economic system operates under the power and ways of Satan, and it operates, as I've suggested, on the basis of selling and buying. God's economic system, however, operates under the power and ways of God and operates on the basis of giving and receiving. Those who choose to love God live according to his ways. And we should be learning to operate according to his kingdom principles. We ought to be living in the world recognizing that there are pulls and draws upon us to live according to the world's economy. There are powerful competing influences of Satan that are at work attempting to withdraw all the good that God would bring. Jesus demonstrated, frequently taught, that while living in the world, we're not to be of it. While for sure that's a difficult task, it can't be impossible or he wouldn't have asked it of us. To do that, though, we're going to have to understand. We're going to have to get understanding about this distinction between the world's economic system of selling and buying and God's economic system of receiving and giving. Now, by no means, do not walk out of here saying that I am suggesting that it is wrong for Christians to sell and buy. It's not what I'm saying. But we do need to recognize that in the involvement in the world systems, we need to look for ways to see and implement God's kingdom of giving and receiving when we can. I think it's an astounding thought to think that while Jesus himself lived his life fairly free from the entanglement in the world systems, that he was ultimately sold for 30 pieces of silver and as a result was bought and brought under the world's economic system. But Jesus made it very clear in John chapter 10 that his life was not taken from him, but rather that he gave it freely, laying down his life for you and I, setting us an example that we might receive the forgiveness of our sins, restoration of relationship with God, and be those then who would be administrators of that same grace mercy, forgiveness, and love to those who don't yet know him. To show the contrast between these two economic systems, I want to look at a story from the life of Jesus. It's one of the stories told by Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so there's ways to see uh, kind of different perspectives sometimes. We're going to read this and look at it from Mark chapter 10. 
It's about 10 days before Jesus was to be crucified. Not quite the last week, but not far. And Jesus uh, had been in a town and he was beginning to make his way towards Jerusalem. And Mark tells us that there was a man who saw Jesus leaving the town and the man rushed up to Jesus, kneeling before him and asking him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, why do you call me good? Good question to ponder. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone and honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking intently at him. Jesus loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all you own and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But at this the man's face fell, going away very sad, for he owned much property. Let me share with you a few things that stand out to me. I kind of speculate that this man had been watching and listening to Jesus. Jesus had been ministering. Maybe this wasn't even the first time he had seen him. Jesus passed through and went to Jerusalem a number of occasions, may have used the same path. This man may have heard him and and for some reason on this occasion he's just moved and he And he runs up to Jesus. I believe that this man was in great earnest as he ran after Jesus. He was perhaps impelled to ask him about, so how can I have eternal life? We're told that this man has and owned much property. Now, I suspect because of the understanding of history of, of those kinds of times and much of the world uh, throughout the uh, millennium, that to a great degree, probably a lot of this man's property had been inherited. But I speculate that he potentially was as well an entrepreneur and had bought and sold much to add to his property and possessions. I believe that his response to Jesus' words about the commandments were genuine. I I believe that he had probably kept those in some very profound, life-fulfilling way. And I believe that Jesus was given a prophetic insight into this man. I believe Jesus saw the earnestness, the genuine desire to please God. But he also saw the primary issue in this man's life that was hindering him from following God in his ways. 
and that was his wealth. I believe that Jesus understood all of this in a moment as he looked at this man. And his heart filled with love and he was moved with compassion. Even though he saw the tension in this man. I believe that Jesus' invitation to him was absolutely the most loving and merciful thing that Jesus could do in that moment. And let me say this to each of us here. Like this man, I suspect that each of us are very sincere in our pursuit of God. And God deeply loves each one and every one of us. And it is that love that speaks to the places in our lives that are not yet under his control and influence and lordship. And he can and does at times ask us, as he did this man, to give up control, to open our hands, and to let go. Did you happen to notice in the reading that Jesus only quoted six of the Ten Commandments? Which commandments did he leave out? Idols, not to have idols. No other gods but the Lord God. Not wrongfully using God's name. Keeping the Sabbath holy. The four that are related to God. Though heartfully sincere, There was something in this man's life that had priority above God. There was something else that was first in his life. And that was his properties, his possessions. Something other than God was his master, controlling and influencing his life. We don't know the end of the story might be that he followed Jesus to Jerusalem, saw the Passion Week, recognized the truth of who Jesus truly was. And we may see him in heaven someday. But at that moment, Jesus offering to him eternal life, the most loving thing to do is to invite him to lay aside that which was controlling and dominating his life. Please note, Jesus did not say, oh, I'm sorry, I've got another scripture, and then then that statement, sorry, my eyes dropped. Uh, Mark goes on in the story, verses 23 through 27. The man has turned and left, and Jesus now looks around at his disciples, and he says how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. 
It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, then who can be saved? The the Jewish concept, honestly, to a great degree, not far from our own, is that those who are wealthy are loved by God. In many cultures of today, that is still believed to be true. That's what the disciples were exasperated about. Wait a minute. We thought that wealthy were blessed by God. That means they're God's favorites, right? And Jesus says they are going to have a hard time entering the kingdom. They asked, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, for mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For all things are possible. Note, if you would please, that Jesus did not say how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter heaven. Though that is what most of us hear, as did his disciples. Jesus said how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom realm of God, the economy of God, the life of God and his ways when so intricately involved and wrapped up in the economy of the world. Jesus is not talking about heaven or our life in the hereafter, as we sometimes say it. Jesus is talking about these two competing economic systems. People with lots of wealth Property and possessions very often put their trust in those things. The reason the man in this story left sad and grieving was because he could not imagine giving up all that he depended on and depend only on God. There's an issue, a baseline issue of trust and faith here. What are we going to trust? Who are we going to trust? And I would suggest for all of us here who work in a business of some kind and receive a paycheck, that we have got to lay hold of the question, who provides that money to us? Whose employee are we really? Who is our source? I've been in uh, a new position for about a year uh, now. It's a good position. uh, it's, It's a good fit for me. But for some reason, I was describing this to Juan and Donna last night at dinner. For some reason, there's been this like this little whispering fear that I would be fired. Um, I don't know. I don't know where it came from. My wife says I need some ministry for it. She's shaking her head. Yes. But at the bottom line of that fear, as I've engaged it with God in my devotional time, is a realization that that fear is absolutely in conflict with trusting him. These economic systems pull and draw on us. We, we live among the world's economic system without even thinking about it. 
But when the opportunities arise to be adversarial towards the world's economy, it's hard. Peter, hearing these words of Jesus, is just about lost, a little undone. Just watch this man go by, asking these questions. Their theology of wealth being God's blessing was just blown up. And and I speculate he just kind of looked down at himself and his clothes that probably weren't in the best of shape anymore. And the ragtag band of the 12 of them. And he says, Jesus, we've left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly, I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or fields for my sake, and for the sake of the good news, who will not receive a hundredfold now, in this age, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields with persecutions, as well as in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. I think, wow, how comforting could that word have been to Peter? We've left everything. And Jesus says, blessed are you. And a hundredfold will come God's return to you. They had left paying jobs, thriving businesses. Many of them were young probably. They had left their parents' homes. All of them were spending more time with Jesus than with their wives and children. Staying out late at night for ministry time. Getting up early. Traveling. Now I want you to notice, I keep saying that here, there's things we don't always see in the scriptures. I want you to notice something. Jesus says that if you give up houses, lands, and relationships, then he promises that we will receive a hundredfold in this life houses, lands, and relationships, and in the age to come, eternal life, deep, connected relationship with God. There is no mention of money in this passage. He does not say, give up all your money, release all your money, and you will receive a hundredfold. Because the Bible teaches about money very differently than it teaches about houses lands, and relationships. And we're going to be talking about that in a few weeks. But next week and the week following, Claire and I are going to be teaching about the power 
behind money. And we've talked this morning, and I've highlighted this idea of these two adversarial or opposing aspects of the natures of these two kingdoms. And they should be up there again, um, whoever's running PowerPoint. I can't even see them back there. Um, I want you to take a moment and personally inventory these lists. I want you to, in your own life, in your workplace, in the way that you treat other people, in the way that you spend your money, I want you to consider how are you doing at living from the basis, the heart of God's kingdom. I just thought of another one, anger and kindness. When we're angry, it's often a result of hurt. But dwelling within that anger often brings a bitterness. And Jesus tells us in the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount that that leads to murder. Where's the antithesis? Where's the adversarial aspect of kindness when struck on one cheek to turn the other, when demanded by a boss to work overtime in your salary, to respond in kindness, maybe day after day, maybe weekend after weekend. We need to wrestle with and realize that we're living as an alien, not as in Star Wars aliens. This is not our home, Jesus tells us. We're here as ambassadors, apostles, sent ones. And we are to be infiltrating the world and its systems and dismantling them in the power and authority of Jesus. So take a moment and just reflect, consider. Are there areas here that you perhaps are entangled in, struggling with? Are there areas that perhaps need attention? I want you to hear that my tone and God's tone is not scolding, but invitation. The left side is really a nicer life. (laughs) 
it's really a whole lot healthier and a whole lot more joyful. You're right. You're right. I was picturing it, but I was still picturing it reversed. Isn't that funny? The one on the right, the whole lot nicer life. That one on the left, really. But way too often, we're just walking the path of this world systems. Let's pray. Papa, I'm just, I'm, I'm just reminded of Jesus and his declaration. I have good news for you. A new government has come to town. A new way of life. I have good news. Come on, come with me. Come this way. Leave behind this world and its systems that entangle and kill you and draw you down. Come with me. Join my Father in His ways. Experience the fullness of life. For the enemy comes and lies and steals and kills. But I have come that you might have fullness of life. In my Father's house, there is more than enough. I am the God of more than enough. Come, all you who are heavy laden, who are burdened. You who have no money, come and buy. Come and receive. Lord, we we are empty in many ways. We are bankrupt in many ways. And we welcome your kingdom. Give us eyes to see where you're at work and where you're inviting us to partner with you. We love you, Papa, and we thank you so much for the good news of life in Jesus. Might we truly gain the recognition that we are here as ambassadors to welcome and invite others who don't yet know about your kingdom and your ways to come home. The only true home that there really is. Give us eyes to see, voices to speak, ears to hear, hands to serve. That you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. That's all I have. So thank you for being with us. We got, we actually, we're trying to get done a little earlier here and there. Um. We'll have folks up here at the front who would be happy to pray with you. Perhaps you've come this morning with some burdens. And uh, we have people that would love an opportunity to hear what's happening in your life, to come alongside, to pray with you. Um, 
and have a great week. Thanks for being with us this week. We'll see you next Sunday.